Hello everyone, I'm Jo. And I'm Melissa. And this is a podcast where we chat to people who practice Nichiren Buddhism within the SGI. We're not official spokespeople, these are just informal chats about what Buddhism is and why chanting Nam Renge Kyo works. Welcome to Buddhist Chats. In this episode, our guest is Pascal Coyne. He's been hosting these extraordinary study sessions on Zoom in the past year, which we thought other people needed to hear. Our chat ranges from the Big Bang to quantum physics via Crocodile Dundee and Jellyfish. But most importantly, it explains what Buddhism is, why chanting works, and how to turn even the most challenging crap life throws at you into fuel for true happiness. Hi, Pascal. Hello. (laughs) Hi. Welcome to Buddhist Chats. Really looking forward to talking to you today. Thank you. Absolutely delighted to be here. Thank you so much. Thank you. So we might as well just dive straight in. So uh, what is Buddhism anyway? Fantastic question. Thank you. Um, You could be forgiven thinking Buddhism had something to do with water features, couldn't you? If you go to B&Q, you'll see a Buddha statue. You know, you can't move. Every time it's a chill thing, is a picture of a Buddha, something to do with relaxation, maybe. Is it peace of mind? And yes, it's all those things, but actually it's a whole lot more than just that. So um, very briefly, a human being, a person, discovered something absolutely extraordinary in human life on his particular quest to understand why is there suffering? Why? What is it all about? What's the purpose of life? It just seems so miserable. People getting born, having disease, dying. It was like, oh, there must be an answer to this. So verily he set off into the night uh, to try and figure this out and joined, participated in the uh, practices of the time, ascetism, I think is how you pronounce it. The belief was then that the spirit could be freed from the yucky flesh through sort of extreme practices. Um, we might scoff at that, but it seems like a reasonable idea at the time, and there's been all sorts of ways. So he practiced that for many, many years, mastered it quite a bit by all accounts, eventually realized, nope, this isn't it. So he decided, right, that's it. I'm going to sit down under this tree, and I'm going to just get to it, even if I die trying. And this is the sort of account of the Buddha, Shakyamuni Buddha, sitting under the tree, just trying with all his heart to understand what it was about. Now, what's really, really important to get here is that the Buddha had no wisdom. He only had compassion, this unbelievable heart of compassion. He just wanted to understand why, even at the cost of his own life. Now, there's many, many accounts of this, his his attainment of enlightenment. But suffice to say, he went through unbelievable torment and torture, whispering demons, not that there are any demons, but sort of inner voices, you know, saying, you're just going to die here, mate. No one even knows you're here. What's the point of it? Just give up. And he'd sort of begin to sort of succumb. Yeah, yeah, maybe this is, no, 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 no. I said I'm going to sit here until I get it, and I'm going to sit here until I get it. Um, And so when he defeated this inner negativity, uh, which we all possess, then what was left was this crystalline wisdom. He could see it. He understood everything. He understood everything, that everything doesn't exist, then it comes into existence. It has existence abiding disintegration and it goes out of existence. 
Human life behaves this way too. People make causes because they don't understand the nature of life. Those causes impact, cause them to suffer. People in suffering take actions, trying to get, you know, based on desire. And those desires cause suffering, which motivate actions, which cause more desire, etc. He saw the cycle of it all. He, I won't go on too much, but he understood. He, I've heard it said, he felt the pulsing vibration of the cosmic life in his very own body he knew he was one with the cosmic life and that the delusion was a temporary existence that life is eternal and that life force animates matter and that life force contains consciousness and the realization of that is an unbelievable miracle and a liberation and the greatest of all joys we are inhabiting a miracle every day. Einstein used to say that. Einstein said, there's two ways we can live. A, nothing's a miracle. B, everything is a miracle. And it's totally the case. Life is the most extraordinary miracle. Now, we lose sight of that because of uh, desire and fear and doubt and anxiety and greed and jealousy and anger. Actually, there's an A to Z of the reasons we lose sight of that. Um, and so Buddhism, in a way, is, 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 is not something we learn, it's something we remember, something we return to. And so he set off teaching. Um, and what he did at first was he taught exactly what had happened to him, and nobody had a clue. <laughs> he was just away over people's heads. He was like, I've attained immortality, and he tried to say what it was. And a collection of sutras known as Flower Garland, beautiful sutras. But then there's an extraordinary thing, because then he stops that. And then he goes to this agama period of about 10 or 12 years where he just goes, okay, this is it. You suffer because of your desires and your desires are coming out of your karma, which is causing you to suffer. And he basically went back. And this is where we get the four noble truths and the eightfold path and th these teachings. And as the years went on, he began to introduce different, more complex philosophical ideas, uh, correct wisdom, equal periods, etc., etc., right up to the Lotus Sutra, which I, as a Nichiren Buddhist, regard as the completion, really, the, the completion of the Buddhist teachings. There's many reasons for this. It's a great controversy within Buddhism as well, of course. Um, some of the main features of the Lotus Sutra are the unbelievable care that he took to tell the story. Um, at the time, he lost thousands of followers. He became known as the great prevaricator for his outrageous statement that men and women are absolutely the same, totally equal. And at the time, they just couldn't deal with it. I mean, today people struggle with this, you know, two and a half thousand years later. At the time, it was just like, what? Um, but the revelation of the Lotus Sutra is um, the completion of the Buddha's lifetime's teachings. So fast forward 2,000 years, and we get to Nichiren Daishonin, who, who sort of completes what Shakyamuni started by finding the essence of the entire 28 chapters of the Lotus Sutra and crystallizing it into one phrase, Nam Myoho Renge Kyo. Nam Myoho Renge Kyo. So that might sound, well, okay, fair enough, but what is, what's, what's that? What's that about? So Nam Myoho Renge Kyo is the very law. Myo uh, is wonderful. Ho is law. Renge is the lotus, 
It's used as a metaphor to symbolize the simultaneity of cause and effect. And Kyo is sound vibration, the very thing we're enjoying right now, the means by which Myoho and Ringe express themselves, Kyo. Um, so th that was Nichiren, and that is the practice of Nichiren Buddhism, prim primary practice of Nichiren Buddhism, the chanting of Nam Myoho Ringe Kyo. That's what we do. Okay. Oh, Joe's got her hand up. Sorry, I didn't put my hand up. Um, yeah. So I guess the the big question I have is, I mean, I know the I've been chanting for 10 years now, so I, I know that it does work. It does. But why? Chanting Nam Myoho Ringe Kyo. I think everybody, everything you described about sort of understanding everything, um, and how wonderful that feels, the joy you feel when you realize that just being alive is awesome and mind-blowingly intense. And I get that. I think some people get that on drugs and some people get that just because it's a beautiful day. They, you get little glimpses of the infinite like that just naturally sometimes. And I remember, um, without going into too much detail about my misspent youth, you know, having glimpses of that many times in childhood as well, <laughs> and certainly, you know, in hedonistic times, and wanting to feel like that more often. And I now know that I can access that feeling more often. I'm not saying I walk around like it all the time, but yeah, why does it, why does chanting this random phrase work? Um, that's a big question. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's the question, isn't it? So the very first uh, writing of Nichiren Daishonin, uh, the very first paragraph of the very first writing, um, is the entirety of everything he ever taught. He said, if you wish to, I'm gonna paraphrase, if you wish to free yourself from the sufferings of birth and death you've endured throughout eternity and attain happiness, enlightenment in this lifetime, you must awaken to the wonderful truth that has always been within your life. This wonderful truth is Myoho Renge Kyo. Chanting Myoho Renge Kyo will therefore enable you to grasp the mystic or wonderful truth within you. So this comes right into our question, why? <laughs> what, why, why that? And it comes back to the point about Kyo and about the fact that, you know, we live in a realm of sound vibration. We live in a realm of uh, our consciousness is populated by thoughts, themselves vibrations, and thoughts create a very interesting thing, feelings. Reality is a thought and a feeling in a moment. If we strip right back this is what reality is for a human being a thought and a feeling in a moment so the buddha again with great compassion broke down the different feelings and thoughts according to sort of categories so in an extremely unhappy place we call it hell don't we the thoughts and feelings in hell are intensely unpleasant and we don't want them the first thing that happens in hell is the desire to get out of it desire is the second life state the thoughts and feelings in desire are quite torturous, especially if we're just we're obsessed. I want it, I want it, I want it, I want it. So the size of our consciousness is, is um, exactly the same as the world of desire. So the consciousness in hell is constricted and awful. Then it begins to expand into hunger, but it's just the size of the desire. Then it goes into animality, which is a dull consciousness, very instinctive. Then it goes into ego, Ooh, the big troublemaker the big me, the big I am. Then it goes into humanity or tranquility, which people often thought what is what Buddhism is about, tranquility. But it's the fifth world. Tranquility is a beautiful world. 
beautiful place to be. It's like the park in June and the children are playing in the playground and the ice cream van, the birds. It's humanity. Everyone's just chilled in the park. Of course, all it takes is, oi, humanity's gone. It's very weak. This is part of the problem with humanity in terms of human beings changing themselves. Um, so hell, so consciousness is sort of hell and hunger and animality and ego. And then in humanity, it's beautiful. It's, it's soft and quite connected. Then rapture. The state of consciousness in rapture is just extraordinary. It, it, it's, it's a good one. I'm a massive fan of rapture. <laughs> Great song as well. <laughs> yeah. often, often called heaven. Often called heaven. So, And those are called the six parts in Buddhism. All you have to do is get born and you'll basically oscillate around those for 70 or 80 years and then die. Unless you make some efforts. The efforts are the four noble higher worlds, which is learning. So if someone's listening to this now intently and it's news to them, then they're in the state of learning. Then the state of realization. The distance between learning and realization is vast. Learning is looking at a box of cigarettes that say smoking these will kill you. That's learning the information. Realization is stopping smoking based on that information. This is the distance between the two things. But it's a wonderful world. This is how we landed on Mars yesterday and can dig into a lake. It's open heart surgery. It's brilliance. It's poetry. It's music. It's all the brilliance of human beings. Learning and realization, extraordinary, wonderful things. Although they can get a bit detached and have a lot of ego in them, but in a more difficult to see way, but very expanded consciousness. Then consciousness does something extraordinary. In the ninth world, the world of compassion, it connects in a real way to other people. We actually care about other people. We can look at the news. I mean, for years, I'd never cried when, when I'm, as a, you know, I'm the youngest of five boys and my father seemed to be preparing us for post-apocalyptic world. It was nuts. It was like growing up with it unpleasant crocodile dundee dad person mom emotionally remote so i was really locked in when i first started practicing it was tenement square happened a few months after i started practicing and the image of the little human being in the big tank was just oh gosh yeah because it was my father and me i was the little bit of my heart papa i burst into tears after forever never crying and proceeded to cry then for 10 years i mean not continuously i went to work and had a life in between times but the point is my heart began to open through chanting them. I began to care and feel. First of all, I had to get through my own sorrow and pain. And now today, you know, I just cry, not boo-hoo, not in sort of wail, but I feel, you know, if I see any sort of suffering, I feel it. So I'm in the world of compassion, there's a real connection. So all of these levels of consciousness and hell and desire and animality and ego and humanity and rapture and learning realization and compassion are all known to us. And also sound vibration will trigger them i hate you is going to trigger something a world especially if the person's saying it to you you really care about i love you that's going to trigger something it can trigger some rapture if you were hoping they'd say that or it can trigger something else if you really prefer they wouldn't have just said that but the, the same words stimulate each of the ten uh, nine life states so then the whole point of buddhism 28 chapters of the lotus sutra the final conclusion of of shakyamuni buddha the uh, conclusion of everyone throughout the ages since human beings possess buddha nature not as a belief system the buddha taught this as a fact when the buddha awakened he knew this was a condition universal to all human beings you can imagine the frustration because we also possess greed, anger, and stupidity. So we could see that we could destroy ourselves 
that we could become enlightened gardeners of this planet and that that is what motivated him to teach. So the life state of Buddhahood is also stimulated by sound. Why does chanting work? Because we possess the Buddha nature. The real question is how then does it work? And the answer to that is it works in exactly the same way as exercise. Do it a lot vigorously. Chant Nam Myoho Renge Kyo. So that's a, that's a very simple way to explain it. The point is we do possess Buddha nature. It's not a belief system. It's there. It's uh, the consciousness that is within us. Yeah, Joe. I have a question, which is that uh, when Shakyamuni Buddha taught the Lotus Sutra um, and then Nichiren kind of, uh, not revised, but kind of distilled the teaching into Nam Renge Kyo, did Shakyamuni Buddha know that Nam Renge Kyo would be something that would kind of be another development of, of his teaching or was that something specifically uh sort of unearthed by Nichiren. This is where Buddhism gets really deep and interesting. Yes, he absolutely did know. He referred to it endlessly about how he'd awakened to this law, how he'd awakened to this Dharma, how he'd unearthed the previously inconceivable law, how he'd come into the boundless law. He just said it again and again and again and again. Then eventually he says, but stop Shadihatsu, I'm gonna say no more. Why? because what the Buddha has on earth is just the most incredible and un unexplainable and amazing law. The wisdom of the Buddhas can really only be shared and understood between Buddhas. This reality, um, and so what, what he says is this reality is, he termed it the true aspect of all phenomena. So we, we now know from the Lotus Sutra that the law is the true aspect of all phenomena. So the true aspect of all phenomena is like saying life force animates matter. The true aspect, I mean, it's a complete miracle that, you know, energy and matter became aware. You know, there, the, this is incredible. And this has happened in a continuous line since a big bang. Myoho Renge Kyo um, is like Mio, the, the second before the big bang. Ho, the big bang. Everything that happens after that is an effect of that and simultaneously a cause for something else. In this case, just a lot of dense heat, but eventually we had the first ever um, atoms, which was hydrogen. But where was the helium, oxygen, carbon, nitrogen? It didn't exist, but it was inside the hydrogen. But for all intent and purposes, it didn't exist, but it was inherent. So it was mio in there. So we had this. Eventually, these things come together, heat, dust, cloud, gravity, and the protons fuse, boom, and we had helium. So now we've got hydrogen and helium. But where's the oxygen, carbon, nitrogen? It's in the same process. So what's happened here? There's this Mio-Ho Ringe start, and then everything that's manifest, Ho, is simultaneously, as in the protons of hydrogen, it's simultaneously the effect of that and the cause of helium itself then the effect of that and the cause of oxygen itself then the effect of that and the cause of carbon it's a, so just cause and effect is just rippling out continuously in the process of myoho ringe myoho ringe everything is interconnected kyo myoho ringe kyo at this part if there is a part of a universe this continues and processes etc then on this rock third rock from the sun life appeared out of 
these atoms. Life appeared out of non-life, Mioho, um, and sat on the earth for two billion years and did nothing. It's like, oh, this is nice, isn't it? Yeah, two billion years, single cells, just like, oh, this is good, yeah, cool. Just sat there. And eventually, though, we had karyotic cells and bish, bosh, bam, complex, and then more consciousness came through. So we have nothing, energy, matter, life, consciousness, and then eventually we have this moment, self-aware consciousness. This means that the moment of the Big Bang, or the expansion, and this to this moment is one continuous unbroken line. This is still the explosion right now going on, and consciousness has this level of consciousness has come out of this. The body is made up of, of hydrogen, oxygen, carbon, and nitrogen. That's 99% of our body. Those atoms are dead. If you take them off with a little thing, they're dead. They're all dead. And not only that, you're sitting on carbon, breathing oxygen and nitrogen. We're also surrounded by all of this. We literally are the universe. We literally are. We're not one with the universe. We are the universe expressing itself because of that continuation in this pattern, this law of Myoho Renge. So yes, the Buddha not only um, knew this, he actually understood the millenniums of time. So much so that the whole of the Lotus Sutra's purpose is to introduce one character, a character called True Self. So the Lotus Sutra starts at Shakyamuni's time, and the first nine chapters are just all about everyone attaining enlightenment, going through that process, women are the, you know, the same as men, all that stuff. Then there's this huge dramatic moment when the, this massive treasure tower appears and the whole assembly is lifted into the air, a device to make us understand what's about to follow is important. It's like a huge signpost in the middle of the story. This is really significant. And it is in this process that a thing called the ceremony in the air happens. And this is the most extraordinary thing because the Buddha predicts and says this literally in the fifth 500 years after my passing, propagate the heart of this teaching. And then we get to meet the main character of the Lotus Sutra because um, from chapters 11, 12, 13, and 14, the Buddha is saying, who will vow in the future to do this? Who will bring, who will do the Baba? And it's a big frenzy. I'll do it. We'll do it. Yeah, me, 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 pick me. And the Buddha goes, desist. It's that dramatic moment of silence. Then way down on planet Earth, it, it breaks open and all these light and sort of beautiful light appears and these unbelievably resplendent bodhisattvas, it's all allegorical, appear dancing, etc., etc. And this causes a question, a really important question from Miraku. He says, wait a minute, for the last 40 years you've been telling us that you attained enlightenment sitting under that tree. Now you're telling us you've been you've taught all of the these people, 50,000 trillion gazillion bodhisattvas, and they're the ones that are going to propagate the heart of this sutra in the future. What are you talking about? Like you've just been saying it. So it's a really deliberate and important moment. And his answer completes Buddhism. Because up to that point, although he's saying everyone's got Buddhahood and they can manifest it immediately, the person who did that did it through a process of countless lifetimes to get to that Buddhist state. So in other words, it's a contradiction. So it's only then because of the appearance of the Bodhisattvas of the earth and that question, how on earth did you train all those people that Shakyamuni reveals, do you know what, actually, the time when I attained Buddhahood was, and he gives this unbelievable period of time, 
known as countless mega world system dust particle kelpers ago. Basically, yeah, it's a, it's a Googleplex with a lot of zeros. But the point is, suddenly we then say this is confirms the universality of Buddhahood and it confirms the simultaneity of cause and effect and the simultaneity of cause and effect confirms the fact that those ten worlds, hell, hunger, and humanity, possess each of the other worlds within them and so it is malleable. You can cause Buddhahood to come out of hell, hunger, animality, ego. And so in Nichiren Buddhism, we don't get rid of the ego, which is a popular thing now. We'll get rid of the ego. Ego's bad. Not at all. We cause the Buddha state to come through ego. So our ego, I'm doing it right now. My ego is expressing uh, my best self. It's still my ego, but it's the nice, shiny Buddha ego part of me. They're not separate. That's the point. It's, it's you know, so Buddhahood comes out. So the beautiful analogy of this, particularly in hell, is the lotus flower blossoming out of the swamp. You know, really bad, hellish, awful situation. We chant nam myo vigorously, and we win in our hearts. We transform something. And that's likened to the unbelievably pristine lotus blossoming out of the dankest, yakiest swamp. I mean, the contrast is, is staggering. So um, that's how specific it is in the Lotus Sutra. He literally says, he does this whole big ceremony for 11 chapters saying this person and persons called Bodhisattvas of the earth, Bodhisattva being compassionate being, will appear in the fifth 500 years after my and propagate the heart of this sutra into what's called the, um, the latter day of the law. His was known as the former day. And he even named each 500 year period, period of wisdom, period of reciting, period of stupas, and then this period known as a period of mapo, unbelievable conflict, pain, and horrible suffering. And Nichiren Daishonen appeared in medieval Japan, 1253, declared Namu Horinge to be this very ceremony, the very conclusion, and himself that very person, the function of this person, true self. And now it's just a matter of historical fact. Then um, the, the, the foundation of the Soka Gakkai. So in Japan in the 30s, the authorities are getting quite they're going nuts basically trying to get everyone around the emperor they create this sort of peace preservation law how sinister is that peace preservation law which is basically thought police and uh, they get all the priests to to just say that the emperor is a god and president uh, mr makiguchi mr toda say no this is not nitron dashonen would stand up against an authoritative regime in fact that's exactly what he did in his life so they took on the same spirit as he Mr. Makiguchi died, and now this organization is not even 100 years old. It's in 192 countries throughout the world. What's happened is the foundations of worldwide um, access to this beautiful teaching of the people, by the people, for the people, has been established. We are living it. We are the Bodhisattvas of the earth. This right now, this moment, is Bodhisattvas of the earth talking to each other in that age. I mean, I used to think, people used to go, oh, Nostradamus, yeah, have you ever heard of Nostradamus? I've never heard anything so specific <laughs> as in the fifth 500 years, the big masses ceremony explaining what it would be. So it's, it's not some sort of um, chosen one thing at all, because all human beings, all life is Bodhisattva. All life itself is a Bodhisattva expression of the earth. The, the only difference is the, the honing in of it, the specificity specific the, the honing in they're being exactly uh, intentional about it that's it you know
intentional. Yeah, I used to when I first read um, bits of the Gojo, which is the the, the letters that Nichiren Daishonin wrote to his followers. I thought it would sound a bit like Lord of the Rings, yeah. and um, and that actually made me um, made me recoil a bit because it, it seemed so. I, I wasn't. I didn't realize which things were allegorical, which things were historical. And so um, someone said to me recently that the, the kind of the genius of Daisaku Ikeda is he's the best person on the planet at translating the Go Show in a way that makes it meaningful to us. And so um, I don't want to what you'd like to say about that, about yes. Ikeda being... Well, I had this image a few months ago, I was chanting about this, and I had this image of Shakyamuni Buddha standing beside Ananda, Modgaryana, Kumar Jiva, Nagarjuna, Tiantai, Miaolao, Chang'an, Dengio, Nichiren, um, President Makiguchi and President Toad, all of them like some mad football crowd, and the goal had been scored at the last minute because they were like, yes, you did it, you did it, you did it. But we all wanted for thousands of years, you have done it. Go, Daisaku! Was kind of Who are those people, by the way? That's basically every hundred years or so, somebody comes along and reestablishes the Lotus Sutra as the primary Buddhist teaching, because it obviously things naturally fossilize and become corrupt. So Nagarjuna is known as the second Buddha, Buddhism was almost subsumed in the brilliant movement of the time, uh, where all sorts of wonderful, they had like these universities of wisdom, and it was an incredible time. And Nagarjuna re-established um, Buddhism as uh, the Lotus Sutra, rather, as the prime sutra. Um, Kumar Jiva, extraordinary translator, uh, lived in 433, and his mom was... Indian and his dad was Chinese. It may have been the other way around, but they were both calligraphers and scholars. His mom was quite a character because she took him. Uh, she was called Kumarayana and the father was Kumaraj. Anyway, his name is a combination of both mom and dad. She takes him on the road to various temples, etc. So he has this extraordinary life of just enlightened parents, scholars, calligraphers. They're Indian and Chinese, so he's bilingual. And then he sets upon translating sutras. And he himself attained enlightenment through the Lotus Sutra, and he had hundreds of followers. So he'd walk up and down, they'd be all on the floor with the translations. 69,384 characters of the Lotus Sutra, they would literally go through each one, and he'd ponder it, and they'd talk and discuss, and then they'd write it down. So he it went from Saddharma Pundarika Sutra to Miaofao Linhai Ching to Myoho Renge Kyo. These are just the, you know, by the way, I've tried chanting Namu Saddharma Pundarika Sutra. It's fascinating. After about 45 seconds, your tongue tries to commit suicide. It just doesn't stop. <laughs> but anyway, what was, well, oh yeah, these characters. Um, yeah. So each each time you get, you know, Dengyo, uh, Tiantai then is an absolute Buddhist master of the middle day of the law. He gave us, um, he, he attained enlightenment through the Lotus Sutra, but he would do meditation on it. So he'd meditate on the unification of the three truths. It is a. I have to prepare as an Irish person to say those two words quickly. The tr the tree truths, the tree truths. Um, that is that there is temporary existence. Knows a soul. This is true. We're here, but yet look very closely. There is no substance. As I said about the atom, you know, we're made up of seventy-seven trillion cells. Look closely, molecules. Look closely, atoms. Look closely, mostly empty space. Not only that, just disappearing seventy billion a day, cells die that go from Ho to Mio, disappear. That is a piece of flesh the size of your forearm. 
This is a cell a level every 24 hours, a level of cellular activity that makes us more like water than solid as we see ourselves to be. So it is true that everything is solid. It is also true that practically it's not, it's almost not there. These two things together bring the middle way. It is neither existence nor non-existence, yet exhibits the qualities of both. So Tiente would meditate on that. I am both here and not here. And he'd attain enlightenment to that. He also gave us a thing called Ichin and Sanzen, which is again derived from the Lotus Sutra, another form of meditation. So he was a particularly, like you could almost say it's Shakyamuni, Nagarjuna, Tiantai, and then in uh, Japan, a chap called Dengyo and the 700s. So, um, and then we have Nichiren. They're the main characters, but obviously they have brilliant disciples and people who, you know, there's hundreds, if not thousands of people between those characters. So these are the people who have made sure that the Lotus Sutra could reach us. Then obviously, particularly Nichiren. Sorry, Joe. Well, I was about to say, it's the simplicity of Namya Engekyo, which is, is just so brilliant because the, the people you're describing presumably spent their entire every day <laughs> sitting pondering and thinking about you know various characters of the lotus suture whereas no one's got time to do that <laughs> um but most people can squeeze in five minutes or an hour or however long of whatever floats your boat of chanting nam your and yes, that's the sort of genius of it really isn't it yeah sorry hand, hand up um i was talking to her, I had a lovely long chat yesterday with a friend who's just start. she's been chanting every day since the new year, she's just starting out on this journey. Mm -hmm. And she says it's what she's chanting for 10 minutes a day. And she doesn't know any of this stuff, like all of this amazing, cosmic, wonderful stuff that you've just described is just amazing potted history of the life, the universe and everything and Buddhism. Um, you don't need to understand any of that. She's just already finding she had a couple of really concrete examples of things that have, have just shifted, just the way she feels really mainly, that she, she'll go into a very difficult situation at work that was making her very anxious. And she just isn't as anxious. She just doesn't, she's not taking on other people's fear. Also, although she's feeling a lot more compassion for people, it's not sort of, it's not severing herself from her wisdom. She's sort of managing things better. And it was just, so wonderful to hear that just you know less than two months in ch to chanting probably well she's chanting twice a day maybe for 10 minutes that's all but she's finding that it's working and and i think she was kind of asking me these similar questions of like well why <laughs> why is why does this work <laughs> um so yeah I, and i think that's that is to go back to what you said joe that is a major thing that's wonderful about dasaku ikeda is that the way that he talks about these eternal, these these very deep, complex truths is extremely accessible. So I think as somebody who's starting out, if you just started by reading only the Gosho, which are very beautiful and poetic and full of allegory, a lot of it goes over your head. I know it did with me. I just thought, what on earth does this mean? It's beautiful, but it's dense. Um, and actually, if you read a bit of Daisaku Ikeda's guidance, which is based on this stuff, it just translates into really sensible, practical advice of how not to be, you know, how, how to just be a decent person. It's about action as well. It's Buddhism is action. So all of this stuff that's very, not cerebral, but that's very, you know, very, very deep learning, what it translates to 
is how you behave in the world, how you treat other people, everything you do, every single moment of your existence has such power. You have such, you meet so many people and the way that you interact with them, the, re- the quality of your relationships is everything. That's what we're here to do. And we don't take any, all we have is our time. It's what we do with it. Anyway, that's, so Thank I think, you. yeah, when I share stuff, it's just, it helps, doesn't it? Having these kind of some plain English versions as well. Oh, totally. I mean, the, the role of, as I say, um, Daisanko Ikeda in the history of Buddhism is the great finisher. The guy who did it it's you know it's incredible and continues to do it i mean you know decade after decade after decade after decade leading from the front shaking so many hands that his own hands swelled up he's literally encouraged personally one-to-one more than a million people let alone them you know it's just an extraordinary and i was thinking that the other day although i've read lots of stuff and retained some of it it, it doesn't matter if i didn't read a book if i chant vigorously which I do every day for an hour in the morning, I feel bloody brilliant. It's as simple as that. <laughs> I just feel, I'm just, and I, I know I've really connected because I've become very childlike and silly, you know, walking around the house singing musical song numbers at the top of my voice, being ridiculous. I'm always getting caught out in the street because I'll be walking along and I'll think of a word and I'll start repeating it and doing it funny. And i suddenly say it really loudly as somebody comes out of their house or something like that. And I'm kind of going, going, jellyfish! And it's just like, <laughs> just a, for such a freedom. Oh, actually, I'm going to share something with you that I wrote um, from my notes, two cents. It's just here. So my daughter bought me a beautiful book. She said it has to look like a like really exquisite thing to write your thoughts down and stuff as you're chanting. Oh, wow. Oh, P- Pascal's just shown us a beautiful kind of gold embossed hardback book. Beautiful. And this is along exactly what you're just saying, Melissa. This is my sort of realisation after 32 years of doing this and all the study. Happiness. It all comes down courage in faith heart full of gratitude and a sincere seeking spirit that's all you need in this practice that's all you need to to manifest your own innate buddha nature and it's good to study too because it grounds it you know it's like electricity practice is enormously energetic and uh faith too incredibly powerful so faith and practice are like the surge of energy studies like the earth in a plug you know just kind of grounds it a bit so you know why you're doing it and stuff so study is a huge part of it but it is true and when we say you know how does it work what the word work underneath that means the manifestation the dawning the cultivation of our own buddha nature that's what work means i sometimes liken it to a fire when you first start chanting, you don't need to understand combustion, heat, the molecules that wake up wood, the principle of a chimney. You just put your hands out and you feel the warmth of it. You know, study is like understanding the dynamics of it. But actually, as soon as you chant, you ignite or awaken. I prefer ignite. I'm a kind of fiery person. Your, your ninth consciousness, this level of consciousness that we talked about in the beginning that the Buddha unearthed in human life. So all life has got see, hear, smell, touch, taste, and the integration of those. Worms, jellyfish, giraffes, rabbits, humans. See, hear, smell, touch, taste, and their integration. 
then there's a next level of consciousness, the seventh, where it becomes hmm, me, you know, me and all of this, the, the I part of it. We don't know, you know, the higher, if you've ever spent time with monkeys and stuff, you, you, it's extraordinary. I mean, they're so intelligent. You do have a sense. So between animality and humanity or an advanced ego, the seventh consciousness is an extraordinary description of life. And then every thought, word and deed is an energy that goes into the eighth consciousness, subconscious, or in Buddhism, karma. But this isn't some static thing. This is a flowing relationship between seven and eight, which is why you can be walking down the street, minding your own business, perfectly happy. And then out of the eight consciousness will come a thought. God, you remember that time you said that really stupid thing in the meeting and everyone looked at you. And then you begin to relive it in the present moment from the past and you start to berate yourself about it. So then you're also strengthening the memory and it drops back into the eighth again. And then you're in. So the seventh and eighth are in this constant exchange, constant, constant exchange. And you could see, well, how on earth do you break that? So below that is this level of consciousness, the pure consciousness that the Buddha awoke to. That's what the word means, right? Buddha awake, discovered, found, unearthed, awoke to. And nam myoho kyo if we want to use that over-cliched expression, is the DNA <laughs> of that consciousness. Consciousness is the essence of life, and nam myoho kyo is the law that pervades the essence. It is the description of the behavior of myoho So I loved what you said about, you know, our behavior, because you have the 28 chapters called the Comprehensive Lotus Sutra, the Myoho uh, Ringyo called the essential Lotus Sutra. But then in the middle of those two is a thing called the abbreviated Lotus Sutra. So this is also an, an explanation from Myoho Ringyo. And it is from the 20th chapter of the Lotus Sutra. It's for never disparaging. And it is very simply, I deeply respect you. I wouldn't dare despise you or be arrogant because you possess Buddha nature and definitely will manifest it one day. That is a translation of Namihorengekyo. So as Buddhists, we're sitting there going, Namihorengekyo, chanting away. We're saying, I deeply respect you to ourselves and others. I wouldn't dare despise you or be arrogant. So if we're actually sitting there despising and being arrogant, you know, our Daimoku is lacking its true power, you know. So it's very, very, it really holds us to account. Either you're doing that and you're being a Buddhist or you're not. And that's okay, because the ghost show that I quoted from at the start also says, although they study Buddhism, their views revert to those of non-Buddhist. It's natural. It's the energy of the lower worlds, hell, hunger, animality, and ego. And so it's the constant writing of that or the transformation of that. I call it spiritual alchemy. We take the base jealousy and fear and doubt and anxiety and turn it into the gold of its Buddha, inherent Buddha nature. So anxiety has Buddha nature inside of it. And that Buddha nature manifests as calm, conviction, assuredness. You know, it's always the positive opposite. That's the gold. That Annamihoringikyo is the means of performing spiritual alchemy, you could say, using quite broad terms. Hi, Joe. So that 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 quote um, that Nichiren says, uh, "Those that have suffered the most deserve to become the most happy." I always used to misunderstand that and think it was sort of somehow sort of fetishizing suffering. And actually, what I've realised is that um, what well, the, the concept really of turning poison into medicine that 
if you manage to um, to transform and understand and awaken to the to, to the thing that's made made you suffer, then the the flip side of that suffering just feels so amazing and enables you to do so much good because you've been there. So there was a point to the to the to the suffering. It wasn't just sort of an endless austerity. It actually served a purpose because at some point in the future you might be able to encourage someone else or um, it would fuel something else in your life that was, you know, useful to either yourself or others. But nothing goes to waste in this in this practice. Yeah, and it's and it's just generally that if there was no suffering, you couldn't experience joy. I mean, you know, it, you would have no, nothing to compare it to. Yeah, and this is why um, on the Gohonzon, there's two massive Sanskrit characters. Earthly desires are enlightenment. The sufferings of birth and death are enlightenment or nirvana, same thing. And you can think, well, those two statements are not true. No, they're not. Suffering is suffering, desire is desire. So why are they front and center? I mean, they're so important that when Nichiren was in a rush and couldn't do the whole thing, he just did Nemirungiko, four things, and those two. So some Gohonsons are just, but they always have that. And it's because that is the principle of this transformation. Um, earthly desires are enlightenment, suffering is enlightenment. Well, okay, it, why? at what point does that become true? And it becomes true when we do this process of transformation that you've just described so beautifully. Um, this is when it becomes true. Nichiren says, if in a single moment of life we exhaust the pains and trials of millions of kalpas. In other words, it's, it is it is the raw material for, you know, we exhaust all of this, then Buddhahood will manifest. So those two things, suffering and desire, also relate to the eight winds. A truly wise person would not be carried away by the eight winds. Prosperity, decline, praise, censure, honor, disgrace, suffering and pleasure. Now, what's interesting about those eight winds, of course, is four of them are very nice earthly desires. <laughs> Who doesn't like a bit of pleasure? Praise, the odd reward every now and again, prosperity. So those four are very powerful. So we lean towards those four. This is we're always kind of hoping we'll get those four. Meanwhile, we're running away from the other four, suffering, disgrace, criticism, and uh, uh, decline. So basically, we're always moving towards these four deludedly and running away from these four fearfully. So we're in a state of want and fear, want and fear, want and fear. And this reduces our consciousness right back down into those four lower ones. So the principle is um, transformation trans in the way that, as I said, you've just described. Um, so secretly, everybody doesn't want problems. Secretly, everyone kind of quite like to get to 99 and just die quietly, possibly surrounded by family, extended family, possibly in one of our villas because we're rich now, maybe on live TV because we're also famous, you know. Secretly, nobody wants problems. And yet the evidence is that is not how the universe is. This is what the Buddha is constantly saying, is uh, if you wish to free yourself. So the awakening to Buddha nature is the, in fact, the Gonzan itself is a picture. Uh, Nichiren says, illuminated by the five characters in Myoringikyo, they, the lower worlds, exhibit their inherent dignity. So what you've got on the Gohonzon is hell, hunger, animality, anger, learning, realize, all of those are praising Myoringikyo and Buddhahood is emerging out of them in this moment. So it's the mutual possession of the 10 worlds and it's been caused to happen by Nam Myoringikyo down the middle. It's a picture 
of it happening. It's a picture of the mutual possession of the ten worlds, Nami Horinge Kyo, and the the two um, principles that you can turn suffering and desire into their polar opposites of joy, freedom, liberation. And that's not to say we shouldn't go after a career and happiness and great relationships, because that's absolutely part of it. The earlier Buddhism was like, like I described, removing the spirit from the flesh idea, but that wasn't. That's not Buddhism, as from my understanding anyway. That it's, uh, it is both spiritual and material. But yeah, that's a great, great, great principle. There it is, front and center on the Gohonzon, encouraging us, vigorous. That seeking spirit in faith, heart full of gratitude, powerful courage. I'm very fortunate. I was a mess when I met this practice. Uh, drug addiction, rage, a mess. And I had zero wisdom and even zero compassion. But what I had was buckets of courage. And I just chanted and chanted and chanted and studied and chanted. And it all turned to gold in the end. All of it. So, yeah. Amazing. Uh, gratitude. Thank you so much. That was just brilliant. I'm really going to enjoy listening back to it about yes me too thank you that was so <laughs> much bigger than it, it went it it went really cosmic um which is wonderful it's my, <laughs> one of my favorite things that it's one of the reasons why i'm so why i love it so much there's yeah. so it's there's this incredible depth and richness and beauty and it's it's connected to you know you just quantum physics you know it's that big um yeah thank you thanks for listening and thanks to Kerry Sheldrick for helping us get started, Tash Wilcox for doing our artwork, Barclay Bandon and Grim Grim for the music, and of course, Pascal Coyne for making the time to chat with us. <laughs>